Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Disloyal Idiots, the Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I am here, Steve Haller, joining you weekly. With me as always, Krishna Guzman, Andy Pregler. This is a sad selection Sunday for us folks, but we're here for it. Um, Maybe not completely sad because as we speak, the women's show is going on, so we'll see how that goes. We'll fill you in on air. But uh, beyond that, what's it been like for you guys to not have to worry about today in the worst way possible? Uh, for the first time in a while, taking a nap during selection <laughs> during the selection show. <laughs> uh, I forgot the selection show was taking place when it did because, yeah, there was no need to like, oh, my gosh, let's see if Syracuse makes it. Uh, that being said, I did watch the... Brooklyn Nets uh, defeat the Denver Nuggets, and I am now all in on the Michael Bridges train, and I know that he's a Nova guy, but technically, I didn't see him destroy Syracuse, so I would like to use my one-time Big East pass to uh, make it okay that Mikel Bridges is a good guy. That's what I did with my afternoon, and made a soup. That's about it. I mean, the soup's nice was uh i you know i feel like this could be you know the troy nunes is an absolute super podcast like we could really go into some deep cooking takes here especially once we get into summer barbecue season with uh with steve uh but you know who else was in new york and i should have gone and seen them new syracuse basketball coach red autry and assistant coaches uh jerry mcnamara and i'm uh alan griffin we're the entire staff was at St. John's to go visit a couple of recruits. So I guess this is a nice way to kind of shoehorn in a basketball conversation off the top. Uh, that's shoehorn not a basketball about... conversation into the basketball conversation? <laughs> I mean, this is always a basketball podcast first. Everybody oh, here knows absolutely. that. <laughs> I literally just described us as a Syracuse soccer podcast with a football and basketball problem. Yeah, I think that's more accurate. Unfortunately, there's nothing happening with uh, soccer or football really at the moment. So let's talk basketball. Uh, Before we talk about the recruiting stuff that's happening, let's talk about what happened this week. Uh, We last time we recorded, it was as the Jim Beheim news was breaking, happening, transpiring. Don't quite know how to put it. Uh, But what did happen this week since we last recorded was the official press conference to try to smooth everything over. Uh, I think that's the best way to put it. <laughs> yeah, this. Yes. I don't want to say lipstick on a pig, but it was the, the way everything went. That was kind of what we, what they what SU was doing. This was the damage control press conference. Yeah, 
there's a lot to take away from it. Um, you know, we had uh, a couple of our reporters on the scene and the the messages that we were getting, the watching it live, there were a lot of th- thoughts that I had. Uh, and I think everybody had some thoughts. So, Christian, let's just start with you. What was kind of your takeaway from this? And what were what was your like biggest thought takeaway from from the whole thing? Um, I'll I'll go on record and say I didn't watch the press conference, but the simple sentence that uh, you put in the Slack channel that summed everything up is probably how we can just sum everything up. This feels like the wrong way to do it. Like, <laughs> yeah, it just everything just felt weird, rushed, unplanned, and. Not in coordination with how a Power Five Division One program should be handling this type of monumental news. So fully in a Syracuse. top one hundred in a top one hundred media market. Hmm. Yeah, fully Syracuse. They went full Syracuse on it. Yeah. And and you guys it's... are from the the Syracuse uh, end of things that should be able to handle this. How well, do... not necessarily, hmm. because because not all because. The journalism majors and the public relations majors don't usually co-mingle. Fair. <laughs> See, this is my my ignorance of what Andy happens and I on that journalism. half mill. Yes, I mean Andy and I are strictly on the journalism side mm-hmm. because remember, the journalism majors are trying to extract as much information as possible, i.e., on its Tota, Meg Waters, Brand X, the public relations. Concerned to withhold as much information as possible, <laughs> and, and 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 filter out the right information. Yeah, I, yeah. You you Steve. Oh, <laughs> I've already lost what I was going for. Oh no, I was <laughs> no. Going, literally PR. PR seems like literally they're just trained in coach speak. Just say say a lot of words without saying anything or giving anything away. And we've and we've talked about you know the master of coach speak being on the hill and Dino Babers the guy that makes you feel like he gave you something when in reality he said a whole bunch of nothing. Um, this I, I think John Wildhack reclaimed his crown for that as he was pressed multiple times by X by others on the timeline for this because as a reminder, uh, Wildhack went on uh, a Syracuse. Sports talk radio, probably what, about two weeks ago, was asked point blank, is there a succession plan? And said there was a rock solid succession plan in place. And then what transpired earlier this week was a not rock solid transition plan. Um, (laughs) To be fair, there could have been a rock solid succession plan in place. And Jim Beheim said, here, hold my beer. Yeah, but that was seven years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Fair. Fair. Succession plans don't use... If a succession plan happens, it usually fizzles out after the first year. Yeah. I I was... I, I guess my takeaway from the whole thing was just the defensiveness upon which Wildhack and Bayheim had to kind of refute all of the reports that they had obviously read but refused to acknowledge... Um, like it was really obvious that they knew that stuff had gotten leaked. They knew that stuff out there was true and they were doing their best to refute it without actively saying, I'm going to refute X, Y, and Z. Um, and it was awkward because this really should have been Autry's show, but because of the way that things were handled, you had to give Wildhack an opportunity to defend the plan or the process of said plan. You had to give Beheim a chance to do an actual retirement speech that everybody was ready for instead of one that he said he gave that no one actually knew was a retirement speech uh, before you then got to the red autry of the whole thing. So it, I, I, I think that that's also like, I cannot understate how much of this entire process 
it has felt that the new head basketball coach is not the center of any conversation that we're having about the new Syracuse head basketball coach. And that to me is the most Syracuse thing possible. Yeah. I don't know. It's one of those. And I, I think, I, I don't know if anybody knows how to dissect the, there's, there's so many things to dissect and yet no way or, desire to dissect them even i don't know the second part is on point i don't think anyone really wants to right because it just seems too messy for a program this this big at least in a basketball sense this big to mess up yeah but we've seen it time and again with syracuse this is definitely not the first time a rollout of anything has been kind of foobar uh, Roosevelt yeah. Bowie comes to mention. Oh my gosh! I, I mean, oh that's. My God. I mean, but this is the thing: is that we've had this under Wild Hack a lot. Like, there's been a lot of indecisions. There's been a lot of just, you know, the entire dome saga. Like, let's just let's just call it that. Like that yeah. entire thing was hand. Like you can tell that this is the same team handling all of those things. Um, but I, and I think this is it's not going to change. I think there's a lot of people speculating about the future of Wild Hack at Syracuse. And I think that those are fair things to say. Um, what I what I will say is I have been behind closed doors with him while he's speaking to donors when I was working for Syracuse. Um, there are things that I'm. Once he's gone, I will feel more comfortable repeating them on on record. Uh, but which we'll he's... find out after we're done recording this. <laughs> uh, it's it's just a situation where the guy for I think that there's a lot of people out there who want to criticize him by saying he doesn't know what he's doing, and I think that that is actually the furthest thing from the truth. I think he knows exactly what he's doing. I think the difference is that for a lot of these larger picture discussions. Not that Syracuse doesn't know what it's doing. It's just trying to at all times keep all options open. And sometimes when you never end up making a decision, you have transitions that are handled poorly because you've not uh, you've not had certain things in place that you need to have. And I think that that is kind of the epitome of the the John Wildhack era at Syracuse, which is they're in trying to keep every door open. Most doors have end up shut in their face. Yeah, <laughs> not ideal. I, uh, I that, do always that's love just no. like the tag, that's just like the tagline of this podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that's I guess that's what I was just going to bring up. Is it's funny because for the entirety of the year and change we've been doing this, transitions and awkward pauses have never been a thing until this Jim Beheim saga, and it's like there's just I don't know. It's it's such a weird topic, and it you would think it shouldn't be because they should be celebrating, you know, Bayheim's retirement and whatnot. But we're stuck in a weird spot where no matter no matter what your thoughts on Jim and what we had to do or what the university had to do or didn't have to do or any of that, it's just it the whole the whole situation's weird. You would have think also that the university would have learned from the Desco situation as well. The Desco transition into Gate. Oh, yeah. Forgot about that, too. Yeah. That, that was just, also pretty foobar, wasn't it? Yeah. That wasn't exactly the most smooth transition for another one of a program which has had single-digit head coaches at the helm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you would have think that they would have learned from that? No. No. Why would Why would they? I, I I just I feel like there will be at some point a giant expose written about all this. Like this is too high profile at both a national and a local level for there not to be uh, some people poking around and trying to put together a good story. Um, shout out to former guest of the podcast, Chris Carlson, who had a tremendous write up about this whole thing on Syracuse.com. 
uh, shot out to Dana O'Neill at the athletic who probably had the best Bayheim retrospective of all of the bunches of Bayheim retrospectives. Um, it feels weird to say, but like for now, I feel like it's time for us to kind of close the book on Jim Bayheim and start really talking about red and what's going on because this week there's actually been in the very short period of time that he's been head coach. There's been a lot of movement on what's coming next for the program. So let's start with the guys that are in house right now, before we start looking at the guys outside of the program that the, that the, that red is targeting, uh, we know that John Bull Ajak had previously said that he was going to hit the transfer portal. Uh, he was at the red introduction press conference. So no, I don't know if you can read into that too much, but um, you know, that's a name to be looking at as the portal opens tomorrow. The other player that there's a lot of question marks about, and I think fundamentally alters what you do with this team for next year is Judah Mintz, who put up an Instagram uh, post with a caption that seemed to imply that he was coming back uh, talking about year one and getting ready for, for the next year. Uh, I would personally be shocked if he came back. However, red and him have a very close relationship. I believe red was his primary recruiter as well. Red um, is a primary TMV recruiter. So, yeah. So if, so I could see a situation where, listen, Red said during the press conference that things were going to change, and that included the defense. If he's willing to mix in more man and be a little bit more aggressive with the pressing, I could definitively see Judah coming back. And the knock on all Syracuse prospects coming into the draft is that, listen, unless you are, unless you are Carmelo Anthony or you are the Cavaliers looking at Dion Waiters, uh, the 2-3 zone means that you are not getting drafted high because your defensive capabilities are capped. Uh, Judah was obviously not the world's greatest defender in the zone. However, uh, I would be intrigued if he's coming back to improve his defensive stock and his shooting stock. And that is something that would, I think, definitely catapult him into the lottery rounds. Uh, if those two things came into play and the one guy who can promise him that is is red, who is now the head coach. And I think it would be interesting if Judah Mintz came back next year because he should be a favorite for ACC player of the year if he comes back next year. It depends on what he's looking for in terms of pro prospects. If he's OK with going in the second round and then working his way through the G League on a much more stable salary than just Adam Weitzman NIL money, then. Yeah, then he's gone, definitely. But mm -hmm. if he wants that first-round money, at, at the very least, the late first-round money, um, that you could maybe do something with, then he then he'll definitely come back. Because right now, I don't think he's a first-rounder. He's a, he's a very good pick for a second round. Uh, it's probably a late second round, but he's a very good pick for a second round. And it depends on what he wants to do. Because... Because there's arguments for and against, like Andy pointed out. And for me, I think it's... I don't think we'll be surprised either way. Because there are good arguments for staying and leaving. So, when the announcement eventually comes, it won't be a surprising one. Because Mintz will have a very, very good reason for his decision. Yeah. I mean... I don't know if I foresee him at all coming back, but stranger things have happened. I, the world of NIL, I guess, does change things. And we haven't seen a true yeah. offseason with that in play for Syracuse. The NIL stuff will definitely help Syracuse uh, keep mints. Right. Uh, well, because... Especially, yeah, especially with, you know, some of the bigger recruits in the college basketball world, at least, going to other schools. Um, so, I mean, Adam Weitzman says he wants to, he wants to spend the, spend the money on NIL. So Right. Now, you you got to figure with Mintz. Like, if he wants that two-way, it, it's it's still going to be there next year. He's not, uh, uh, out, barring injury, he's not playing himself out of the second round. Yeah. So, 
if he gets the NIL deal, worst case, he makes money and gets the two year or the the two way. Best case, he moves himself up in the stock. So if that if the bag is dropped, then it makes it almost makes sense for him to stay. As dumb as that sounds, really? Did I? No. <laughs> did I just question my own rationale? I think I did. Okay. I I mean, my my feeling on this with with Mince is that we have seen there. Actually, let me rephrase. There is a proven track record of Syracuse players who play for the Orange in the NCAA tournament getting drafted solely on the basis of what they do in those two weeks that they're playing in the NCAA tournament. No disrespect intended to Malachi Richardson or or O'Shea Brissett. Um, They were both very good players, but they were not on the radars to the level that they were until they had the NCAA tournament run where they really showed out. Um, And I don't think that it is a coincidence that Syracuse has not had a significant pick of note uh, in the spell of not going to the NCAA tournament on a regular basis. Um, I, I think that there's some pretty direct correlations there. So, again, Mince is somebody who we've seen it with CJ Fair. We've seen it with other players who have returned that the NBA evaluation process does not look at an extra year of college as a good thing. Uh, You really need to elevate your individual game uh, year to year. And Mince has two very clear areas where he can elevate his game, his shooting and his defense. I don't necessarily know that coming back to Syracuse is the best way to improve on those two things. However, I don't necessarily know that the G League or going overseas is really going to improve those things either. And it then becomes a situation of how can I have the quickest path possible to an NBA two-way contract or to an NBA guaranteed contract. And I think if you believe in Syracuse improving next year, coming back to Syracuse is probably the best and most efficient path. However, that is a big if, because as we saw with this year's team, it's going to take more than Judah Mintz becoming a better shooter and defender for this team to improve. And I think that that's probably a great transition into the next part of this conversation, which is the rest of the roster and what red needs to do to really improve here. Um, so off the top, there is one recruit coming in for the class of 2023 uh, project center, not really worth talking about unless something insane happens with a flip or a decommitment over the next two weeks. I, I don't think we're going to really see anything major change in that department. Um, and we'll talk about the recruiting efforts that the team is going through for the class of 2024. So, as we uh, Michael put in the press conference recap, the entire roster could return for next year unchanged. I don't think that's a good thing. Uh, Christian, I'm, I'm curious... I think the biggest question marks right now are around Joe Girard, Jesse Edwards, uh, Benny Williams. Of those three, are there any that you feel strongly, yes, we need this person to return? And are there any that you feel pretty strongly, I think it's time for them to move on and we we should address this replacement in the portal? Jesse Edwards... Could stay if it's Syracuse fans get their way. Jesse Edwards stays. Realistically, he's leaving. Because, and the the tough thing about that is, is that it's really really tough. Now, first of all, it's really tough, especially in Syracuse's position, to get an impact starter in the portal. It's in- exponentially tougher to get a center. He was an impact starter in the portal. And Syracuse, we saw, at least that towards the end of the season, if teams can effectively shut down Jesse Edwards, there's no interior presence. 
So, obviously, the answer is Jesse Edwards should be the one that you want to stay. I don't think it's happening. It, it's probably 95% that Jesse Edwards has done. Um, and reminder so to listeners that the NIL stuff we've been talking about does not apply to Jesse Edwards because he's from the Netherlands. Yes, so, non-U.S. citizens can't uh, benefit from NIL. Right, so we can't throw a bag of money at him to keep him here. And and keep in mind that if Edwards does stay, it would be a COVID year. So it would have to also be him getting a, a grad program that he likes here at Syracuse as well because he's done with his undergraduate degree. Um, so you know, there's a lot of factors um, that would have to go Syracuse's way in order for Edwards to stay. So while the hopeful option is Edwards to stay, that's not realistic. Of the two remaining players that Andy said, I think it's more important that Benny Williams stays than Joe Girard stays. And the main reason is because I think it's easier for Syracuse to at least in some way replace Girard's production than Benny's potential. Because Benny has the physical attributes to be good. He saw that in the pit game. Like, the jump shot finally unlocked from the pit game. There was he, he showed more aggressiveness in terms of fighting for rebounds towards the end of the season. And so there's more potential, I think, for Benny to have an impact next year than Gerard. Because Gerard, I think we've already seen his ceiling. And it's hot and cold shooting with Gerard. And it's very easy for teams to game plan against him, especially if they have a lockdown defender. So... Of the two remaining, it's easier for it would be better for Benny to stay because the replacement that you can get in the portal is harder for Benny than it is for Gerard. Yeah, I can see that making sense. The it, it's I, I think we were talking about it in the Slack that uh, basketball or college basketball needs a, a wins against replacement type uh, mm-hmm. type statistic because. That was me. Yep, there we go. I was like, yeah, I, I knew it Michael, came up. <laughs> me, me and Michael are the baseball wing. Um, mm-hmm. So we're the ones campaigning still for our Syracuse baseball program, which was not going to happen in our lifetimes, unfortunately. Nope. Well, I mean, they would have to be starting the season now, right? Uh, no, season they started were, two, two weeks ago. Okay. Yeah, the season, so. started, the season would have started two weeks ago in Florida. And we just... Got, I mean, we're under a winter storm warning for 8 to 14 inches tomorrow. No, lovely. Congratulations. Yeah. So unless they expand the dome to be able to fit a baseball field in there, uh, I don't see that uh, likely happening because they'd have to be in Florida for the next month. <laughs> well, that's what softball does. True. True. They, they, play their, they play all their games up until the middle of March south of the Mason-Dixon line. Yeah. Yeah, well, I guess really I guess it is feasible. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing it, but uh, love a good baseball tangent. Uh, <laughs> WBC, I'll be staying up late tonight. Same, uh, Viva Mexico. Uh, Steve, oh, right, I, I forgot you. I forgot you're Mexican. Yeah, I know. Everybody forgets a Mexican <laughs> privilege of white passing. Conversation for another day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, Steve, with we've talked about it so much, but like this team fundamentally hasn't changed in two years. I obviously third time. I'm very strongly of the opinion that third time's not the charm here. I I think the biggest issue is that we know that there needs to be a change at the point guard position or the shooting guard position. Either way, the, the, the guard situation, Gerard and Mintz can't really play off of each other very well. Um, but I also think that there needs to be some something happening on the wing. I had this conversation with a friend the other day, and we were just kind of going through. It's like, man, you know what this year's team could have really used is is a James Sutherland type. Uh, just a, a, a tradi- you know, the 3 and D before the 3 and D was popular of somebody who can match up really well on defense uh, in the zone, but also is just that consistent shooting outlet. And I think 
Bell is trying to be that. Um, but there's another piece who, you know, naturally, uh, whenever there's a coaching change, whenever a player, you know, is getting pulled in and out of the lineup towards the end of the season, there's going to be questions of the transfer portal. Losing him would definitively hurt. But I'm also, you know, if you're bringing him back, you're banking on him or Taylor making a big jump to become one more consistent. But also they need to become more potent and more lethal. Well, and that's if you bring them back, do you bring I mean, Bell's back on the wing. But do you, like with the roster as it's constructed, you almost would have to shift Taylor up to the two. There's no which I'm not against. Yeah, I, 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 I think would, that would work. I would highly I would highly prefer one of Taylor or Bell to play the two. Yeah, and I don't know which was better or worse defending the wing because that would pretty much predicate that position. Well, this goes to a point on an article that I'll be writing for the site. And it's probably the most important decision of Archery's early tenure that he's got going for him. And it's the need for a proper forward assistant coach. Because ever since Bernie Fine left and ever since Mike Hopkins left, there hasn't been a coach that can properly develop Syracuse's forwards. And you think of the the front court that Syracuse has had in that time, it's been Mark Dolajai being a freak, O'Shea Brissett, and Quincy Garrier being freaks as well. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much it. And then Jesse Edwards as well being a freak. Hmm. The forward production outside those four players over the past seven years just hasn't been that great. Yeah, that's... I didn't think about it yeah. that way, but like you, when you break it down like that, like, wow. <laughs> so that is, for me, the most important thing that Adrian Notchery has to get correct in the first couple of months of his tenure. It's a really, really tough decision, but it's crucial for at least the next five years that Syracuse needs to get a forwards coach who can actually properly develop forwards. Because take a look at the coaching staff right now. Adrian Autry, Jerry McNamara, Alan Griffin. Now, to be fair, Autry has also said that he doesn't know if he's keeping the coaching staff as is right now. Although with McNamara and Griffin going with Autry on this recent recruiting trip this weekend, those two are probably staying. All three of those guys are guards. There's no one on the coaching staff right now who... As good as the basketball players as they are, properly can teach them how to play the forward position. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I was kind of going back through, and the last, the, I mean, the class before where you were mentioning was with Leiden and Roberson, who were both developed or like came in under Hop. At least Leiden's yeah. first year he had under Hop. Leiden's first year he had under Hop. Robertson he had Whole on career, a career, yeah. Yeah. Huh. Andrew White wasn't a defensive forward. He was a scoring forward. These are these are things to consider. I, I mean, I think it's really obvious that there is room for improvement here. Um, and I think it's interesting. I think that Red is... Uh, they they his he has not exclusively been at Syracuse. Remember, he was the director of basketball ops at Virginia Tech uh, before coming back to Syracuse. And I I think for those that might be wondering why a certain other guard on staff didn't get the head coaching position, uh, the ops per side of this is really important. Uh, the Jim Beheim CEO type of coach is not in vogue anymore because modern college basketball is just too complicated for that. Uh, You really can't micromanage or be a CEO. You have to have some control, uh, be able to have your hands in a lot of different pots, but also be able to delegate all those different things off to a degree. Um, It's 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 an incredibly challenging job to be the head coach of any Division I program uh, these days, and I do not envy the task at all. 
Um, but I do think that red comes at least with a back a potential background that matches up better than somebody without the ops background. Um, and I think that that is important to remember in this discussion. Um, but before we start talking about the 2024 kids that uh, Christian alluded to in the recruiting trip that the, that the staff went on, let's talk about the T-shirts that you should be recruiting into your wardrobe, and that is home field apparel. Wow. <laughs> wow. Makers of the finest and coziest collegiate apparel that you will find on the internet, home field apparel is your one-stop shop for vintage Syracuse, ACC, any school that you can think of, they probably have something uh, with a funny mascot, an old saying, an old logo. Uh, they have it. You'll love it. It's super comfortable. And if you use promo just, code NUNES and you get 10% off your full order. If anybody is listening to this and not watching it, that segue literally broke Christian. <laughs> that was so painful. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> Oh, that segue was was definitely worth at least ten percent off your order. So using promo code noons. And you, I hate you both. I hate you both. Oh god. So I I also realized that outside of my hat, I am decked out in full. Like I have, I'm rocking the joggers and the shirt right now. Hey, me too. So. Well, not the Syracuse ones. I'm wearing I'm wearing gray joggers, but mm. yeah, I got the. I'm going. I'm doing the full home field. Yep. Yeah, we've gone full home field, which never go full home field because I already saw Connors out and uh, out in force because of the uh, the women getting the one seed in the NCAA's. Yep. The uh, other thing to know about home field is that they're about to do some crazy stuff for March Madness. So if you're a fan of their stuff and you want more home field in your wardrobe, uh, make sure you tune into their Twitter accounts, uh, Instagram accounts, email lists, whatever they may have. Uh, it looks like you're going to have an opportunity to add a lot more home field to your wardrobe coming up uh however we're going to talk about syracuse adding to their 2024 recruiting class uh as we alluded to earlier in the show the coaching staff seems to have completely punted on the rest of 2023 um they are not really linked to too many guys in the 2023 class at this moment uh their focus seems to be on 2024 uh christian we you and i we, we have a group text with you know the three of us and um, we were going back and forth because today the co- the entire coaching staff that is on payroll, the three of them, uh, were in my neck of the woods to go see a high school basketball competition that featured many recruits. Um, but they were also in Pennsylvania yesterday. Uh, who were they? Who were they looking at yesterday uh, in Pennsylvania? Because I didn't look at the the twenty four seven link. Um, so they were looking at uh, Jaleel Bethia, who was a four star shooting guard. Um, not too much on him right now. He's 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 warm for UCLA right now on twenty four seven. Um, got a couple other offers, good offers from some other good schools. Um, to bring the whole coaching staff out there is, you know, pretty significant. Um, so I think what we're seeing right now, at least with the co- the prospects that Syracuse the recruits that Syracuse are looking at right now is I, th- I think they want to shoot their way out of the funk that they're in right now. I was going to say they are looking at um, it was the, the two players that they were looking at today in New York. Um, they were looking at, uh, I'm pulling up their names right now. They're looking at Boogie Fland, who is uh, up in White Plains. He is the 13th ranked recruit and the number two uh, in the country, number two ranked recruit in New York. He is a 6'3 combo guard. Uh, And then Elijah Moore, who is committed to Syracuse, uh, is, you know, uh, as we've covered before, he is out of the Bronx. He is the fourth ranked recruit in New York State. He's a four star recruit. He is also a shooting guard. Uh, I mean, that there is. Clear writing on the wall that in 2024, you know, Judah and Gerard will not be on this roster. And Syracuse is looking to replace uh, a bunch of guards by that time. I think that that's also helpful because say that if a Joe Gerard or Judah Mintz were not to return, I think it screams to the transfer portal that Syracuse would be looking for a one and done plug and play uh, type solution there based off of who they're trying to bring in. Um 
I do think it is interesting, Christian, that we are talking about Syracuse trying to shoot their way out of this funk. Because I'm not necessarily sure that's the best move, but it might just be what's what's out there right now for, for the Orange. For a way that Syracuse has traditionally played, yeah. But first of all, you're going into a new era with Scottry, so who knows how he's going to play. Um, whether he's going to be offense or defensive-minded, we don't know. And also, like, let's be honest, this is the way basketball was moving. I mean, the NBA values defense less and less as every season goes on. And they value the guys who can score. Because that's the way you win in the NBA. I mean, teams are reaching 100 points by the end of the third quarter, by the middle of the third quarter in the NBA, when not 10 years ago, it was it was a uphill battle to get to 100 points at the end of four quarters of play. So this is the way that basketball has evolved. It's shooters. It's scoring. And right now, I've if you've seen uh, Shields on Hoops on Twitter, he and I have had this conversation a couple of times. Syracuse doesn't have an offensive plan. They've never had an offensive plan and offensive plays for like more than a decade now. So it's well, what's the best way to get out of that? Well, just get guys you can shoot. Sounds simple. It's Yeah. It's tough because if you want to get the most out of the guys who are going to score inside, i.e. Jesse Edwards, i.e. Malik Brown, you have to set them up in a way that they can get the ball. And Syracuse traditionally has not done that. Now, maybe that changes under Autry, and if it does... That's fantastic. That's great. That's something that we've been looking forward to for a while. But the way that the NBA and the way that Syracuse has played recently, who thinks the way that the offense is going to go? And we and we see it with Gerard, and we see it with pretty much everyone that's not named Judah Mintz, Malik Brown, and Jesse Edwards. If the other players on the team aren't making shots, the offense can't keep up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's weird to see. I mean, I guess, like you said, that's the way that's the way the game is shifting. Um, it's probably good to see Red continuing to target kids that would fit into that mold. But also, there. <sighs> there's a lot of unknowns about what he's going to do with this team. I think it's all, all kind of a mystery as to, you know, I'm sure he'll keep some, some veins of, uh, you know, what they've done in the past just for ease of teaching. But as this evolves into his team, what direction, what direction are we going on offense or defense? Are we going to see the unthinkable this year and actually see a run play on offense? will we run mostly zone and press on defense? Do we have the personnel to do any of that? I don't really know the answers. But something I tweeted out um, during the ECC tournament game also, when's the last time Syracuse has actually scored on a possession after a timeout? About the last time they ran a real set play. In like open play offense, not coming out of a timeout. Yay! It it's been it's been a hot minute, <laughs> and whatever they drew up during that game, as I'm assuring or as I'm assuming your tweet alluded to, it it wasn't great. Nope. Who? Uh, yeah, I just decided to take a look at all of Syracuse's uh, 2024 offers as tracked by 24-7. Uh, we did not get Elliot Cadeau, uh, Rob Wright uh, from the point guard. Those are two point guards who are both committed elsewhere. 
Curtis Givens has a ton of offers. It doesn't look like he's leading one way or the other, but we're competing with Florida, uh, Georgetown, Illinois for his signature. Uh, we already talked about uh, Jaleel Bathia. Uh, we're looking, uh, we've missed out on two small forward targets. Uh, the only other player right now who's got an offer is the is a four-star prospect uh, from Ontario, and his only other offer of record is Washington State. Cautiously optimistic there. Uh, and then there's one power forward who it just does not seem like Syracuse is in on whatsoever. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how Red decides to build a team. And I think that the transfer portal on Monday is going to be like, we're either going to have a ton of news, and next week when we talk about this, we're going to be talking about, oh my gosh, the Syracuse roster is going to look so different because X, Y, and Z is gone. Or nothing's going to happen because all these players are kind of waiting and seeing what Red has, and it suddenly becomes this giant unknown question of how is he going to play? Because the type of players that he's going to go after in the portal is going to tell you a lot more about what's going to happen with this team. But as we've covered previously, there's there's everybody can come back. So unless some bodies start leaving, you can't really bring anybody in. Uh, so, again, I think a lot of these things will start to become known on Monday uh, with the transfer portal. Uh, gentlemen, with our final 10 minutes... Got to talk about lacrosse. There was a good thing that happened. There were a, a bad thing that happened. And then the women's steamrolled Notre Dame. Uh, I just want to make it clear that the women's lacrosse team at this point is looking like an absolute powerhouse again. Uh, last year, the running joke was, let's see what happens until we play North Carolina. Christian, basically the same thing this year? Yep. We can we really... We could honestly ignore women's lacrosse until North Carolina and BC at the end of the year. It's like really sad, but it's like just really apparent that Syracuse is one of the three best programs in the country. Well, they <laughs> and they're going to dominate everybody. They beat the number four team in the country, so I guess it's distinctly the top three. <laughs> That's what I mean, though. Like this feels kind of like old school well, basketball when it was Tennessee, that, UConn. And... They beat the then number two team in the country as well. True. Yeah. I, I make it. I, there's so many good things about Megan trainer to say. I just appreciate that. She wears Taylor auto Taylor trainer. Sorry. Uh, even th even though there are five, there, there are five players on the team that are named Megan, but spelled yes. differently. I thought he was yes. waxing poetic about like his, his thoughts on various songstresses. Yeah, that no, too. No, <laughs> no, absolutely not on that side. Uh, and, mostly, Andy is not all about that, that base. <laughs> He's absolutely not. not. Absolutely not. Uh, I forgot the Megan thing was where I was going through because whenever we have a Syracuse women's conversation, it's about a Megan and a torn ACL. Uh, so just in my brain, things are. Uh, That's actually things, a good thing that we can touch on. Uh, that Syracuse, for the most part, has stayed healthy, which is important. You can't hear that, but I'm knocking on wood very hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Oh, anyway, no, you you mentioned the Megans. Uh, if I remember correctly, didn't uh, one of them get nominated for the Twarton this year? Or, uh, yeah, this Megan, week? Megan Carney got uh, added to the watch list. There um, we go. As yeah. did. Uh, I mean, Ty Tyrell has been on it since the preseason. Yeah, there was a was a did Mark get uh, added from the men's side? Yeah, Mark got added as well. So sorry for the digression. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, like this is the, this is the tough part about talking about a team that is so dominant. It's just the games don't really matter unless something catastrophic happens or something weird happens. Otherwise, they're just kind of doing their job and going out and beating the ever loving crap out of top 10 teams in the country. And it's incredibly impressive. But you're at that point where, all right, there's been a hump. Can we get over said hump? So we're now uh, playing whose line is it anyway until uh, North Carolina and Boston College? Basically, yes. Yep. Uh, the men, on the other hand, uh, Christian, I saw the jersey retirement. Looked awesome. That was the good thing. Then I looked at the score line and I got sad. Yeah. Um, the Syracuse defense actually did well because it was only 11-9 loss. Um, 
it's just unfortunate that the offense decided uh, to run into a goalie that was just as good as Mark. Mm. Um, which was in which was a big reason why Syracuse lost this game, um, is that the Hopkins goalie just had a absolutely nuts game. Um, Tim Marcille, I think that's how you pronounce his name. Uh, nine goals allowed, twenty-one saves. Oh, okay. Yeah, that seems fine. And and there were a lot of good looks from Syracuse. Um, I still think Syracuse needs more dodging. Um, like I, I still think they need to do more things to open up more chances for Spolina. Um, Hiltz, Hiltz had a great game, um, but in that second half, like their goalie just stood on his head, and, like and absolutely dominated. Like and like almost everything else for Syracuse went well. Hmm. It, and, like, this defense effort was without their best defender in Landon Clary, who went down after the opening faceoff um, with an undisclosed injury. So, like, defensively, this was, a, this was a top 15 Johns Hopkins team as well. But defensively, this was a very good sign from Syracuse. Like, overall, the game was really good. I just think, like, they got unlucky because the goalie that they just ran into just played out of his mind and it's not like will mark didn't do his job either 11 goals allowed 12 saves like he'll take that for mark yeah it's just that the opposing goalie had an unworldly game which leaves this in a weird position because i don't know what you could take from this game from syracuse again maybe just a bit more dodging a bit cleaner with the ball in terms of turnovers um maybe a bit more uh ground ball and clearing, but like those are like small things that like you would also want in a win. So it it's tough. Right. There was nothing egregious that jumped at you that said they need to do X, Y, or Z, or they're they're really far off the mark. It's just yeah. you know cleaning up it's some not, things. It was and, definitely not like the UNC and Duke games where it was the face offs and then turnovers. Right. That really decided the game. Um, so it does seem like even though the record may not completely show it that they are improving as a team it would seem that it would seem that way and now we get into that stretch of the schedule where they start to you know play some of those easier opponents before we get into the brutal april right well yeah, no, i was gonna I mean, say do they do they use these and kind of work some things out to make it so that that brutal april isn't quite as brutal you would hope so and it's got to start with the offense i think um because i think that's how this team is going to win games it's through its offense yeah um, because it's a strength of this team. Like, I don't think you're going to look at this defense and say, yeah, the team is going to win through their defense, um, except for if Will Mark has, you know, just another insane game. Right. Um, so the it's it's got to come through the and it's and it's and it's a shame because like the first line defensive midfield is really really good for the Syracuse team when you have Sam Alexo and Brendan Avilas, uh, you know, Carter Rice and Max Rose who do some good things as well. But the close defenders just aren't up to the task. I'm um, especially with Landon Clary out. Um, with with Landon Clary out, that's their best close defender, and the other close defenders really don't match up. So it's a little tough for Syracuse to get more of a defensive boost. Um, it's just got to be working on team defense um, to really help Syracuse get up over that hump. So it's got to come from the offense, I think. And you know, taking care of the ball better and yep. yeah, just taking care of the ball, maybe a bit more dodging and then obviously face-offs. Um, but you really can't, you can only, you can only gain so much confidence coming up against face-off guys who are weaker than you. Right. So you can't really gain much more from the Syracuse there. Um, in terms of the face-off departments, you can get cleaner on offense. You can create more tan- changes through dodging on offense as well that can maybe give you a bit more confidence even if it's against weaker defenses so i think you can use this you know stretch to gain more uh comfortable comfortability with the offense especially with how young it is right so you're saying we need to find a team that's relatively shitty but has an amazing face-off guy yes use them as a practice squad yes um 
That was the first game of the season. Mm, true. Yeah, I was going to say that, the, the that was the Vermont game. Yep. Like, like relative, like relatively weak team, but amazing faceoff guy. Well, the uh, the or the men's lacrosse team four game losing streak doesn't look good, but they're coming to my neck of the woods. They're playing at uh, Hofstra on Tuesday. Uh, and then they return to the JMA Wireless Dome to play St. Bonaventure on March 21st. So, should be, uh, like Christian said, hopefully a better win this week. We will keep our fingers crossed. Um, but yeah, this is, to cap to put a cap on tonight, uh, March Sadness, the women do not make the NCAA Tournament. Um, they did not make the play-in games. Uh, looks as if Mississippi State, St. John's, uh, Illinois get the last four in, or last three of the last four in there. I forget what yeah, the other the, team was. The big one was Purdue, and Syracuse lost to Purdue early in the season. Mm. Yeah. So there we go. That's that'll do it right there. Uh, that it really stinks for the women's basketball team. Uh, tremendous rebound season, all things considered, and I think expectations are super high for next season. Uh, considering the recruiting class that's already being talked about uh, and just how well the team bounced back this year. So future's looking bright for one team on the Hill. Uh, future is a little bit uncertain for another team on the Hill. And gentlemen, it is now time for the what did Andy forget in this week's show part of the show. Uh, shout out to Ryan Proposo. Oh. Hey! Uh, Raposo scored in the... Uh in the CONCACAF Champions League for Vancouver this week. Nice. There we go. I'm not going to lie, I forgot. I forgot, C- or forgot Vancouver was in CCL. Yep. Hey, you one Canadian of, team. <laughs> you forgot a lot of teams are in CCL. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because they got the bid from the Canadian Championship, I believe. Yes, yes, because this Wait. is one of the few years that Toronto didn't win it. <laughs> right, and also, like, the fact that the Canadian Championship is a thing, you tend to forget, um, yeah. which... It was runs a, parallel to the U.S. Open Cup. Well, it was the thing is for the longest time it was a three-team tournament because it was just the three MLS sides. Yeah. So it was like, okay, cool. Whoever had the best record between the three of them got it. Now with CPL, it adds another bit to the equation, but it's still a three-team tournament. So, yeah, yeah. not uh not the most prestigious trophy, but one that's good enough to get them into the into the uh, Confederations Championship. Yeah, I'm here for it. Uh, I'm 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 here for it. The uh, the other thing I wanted to call out wouldn't be a news magician podcast without uh, shout out to Track and Field uh, NCAA indoor championships for this weekend and Jaheem Hayes Hales. Uh, finished fourth in the 60 meter dash or 60 minute or 60 meter hurdles. There we go. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, so Syracuse's uh, Hales finishes fourth in the NCAA 60 meter hur- hurdles. Uh, there you go, Kevin. We, we got a track, uh, un- track mention. In unrelated, but related news, uh, Tyree Kill competed in a 60 meters event this week and won. How does he stack up against Sean Tucker? Uh, I was going to say, I think next week's show is going to be breaking down uh, some NFL draft prospects of the Orange based off of combines, uh, based off of pro days. I think we'll have some more stuff coming up uh, with that next week. And I'm very excited to talk about football dudes in underpants. Uh, It is a very exciting time for an NFL fan. And apologies to my uh, Carolina Panthers fans out there. Uh, giving up DJ Moore for what I think is going to be Anthony Richardson is a hell of a move. Let's see if it works out. If the Panthers draft Anthony Richardson. Oh. Also, NFL season is here. Yeah. Also, to note, like the um, so the so Cuse's pro day is next Monday. So it is so that is actually a perfect time to do that next week. Yeah. That's yes. what I thought. Uh. It's. I thought it would be a good. I thought it would be a good segue. So there we go, gentlemen. You're still not drafting Anthony Richardson with the first pick. Please do it. Burn the internet down. Let's do it. 
this is fun as always. We are now in our Red Autry era. Here's hoping it ends up just as interesting as the Jim Beheim era. Uh, thank you again for listening to the Disloyal Idiots podcast, a Troy Noons is an Absolute Magician podcast for now. Uh, make sure you like us, review us, subscribe to us on the podcasting platform of your choice. Make sure that we can help trick the AI into expanding the Ottoman Empire, especially as we are about ready to uh, potentially do some shifting again if you subscribe. Nothing will change for you, so please subscribe uh, to our to our podcast feeds. It, it means the world for us, and we really do appreciate the support. Uh, make sure that you uh, also, if you enjoy watching us live, you know, keep following us on Twitch. We do this every Sunday night at 8 p.m., uh, and you can watch Christian's reactions to my absolutely terrible segues. The best part of the Twitch live experience. With that, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I've got an auto the orange staring at me. I've got a dog that has no idea what time it is. Uh, I think it is time to say go orange and good night. Go orange. Go orange. <laughs>